I'll say good evening to you. Welcome to Hebron tonight. I cannot remember uh, a gospel meeting on a Sunday night being at nine o'clock before, so we're making a little bit of history tonight on the final Sunday of the year. Let's sing together just as we keep our seats the hymn 383, a couple of verses. There will never be a sweeter story, story of the Savior's love divine. cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence all divine and we'll sing a couple of verses before we come to the opening hymn tonight is 224. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? We're going to stand this time to sing. prayer this morning, we mentioned a number who are sorrowing, and we want to continue to remember those who have lost their loved ones. And we think of Davy and Margaret, and it's good to have them in the house of God today, but we think of Davy's sister Isabel, who passed away. Think of Mamie Halliday and our sister Jean Calderwood, Jean McLean, it's the Calderwood is the maiden name, and the family, the Calderwood family, and we're thinking of Marion who passed away and the Ross family as they grieve the tragic passing of Lydia. So let's pray together, seek the Lord and call upon his name. 
Our Father, as we come to your house tonight, a later time than normal, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, the health and strength that permits us to be in God's house this evening. And we approach the throne of heavenly grace through the merit of our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, through the blood of the Lamb that we have been singing about this evening, we thank you for the blood of the Savior that was shed for the remission of our sins. And Lord, we think of how that crimson thread runs through the whole Scriptures. Think of the Old Testament pointing to the day when the Lord Jesus would come from the very first animal sacrifice to provide the clothing for our first parents, Adam and Eve. And then on down through the various sacrifices that were given to Israel as pointers to the day when the Savior would come, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the bullock, the blood of the goat, and the blood of other animals too, shed on Jewish altars, pointing to the day when the Lamb of God would come and would be lifted up upon the cross of Calvary and shed His blood that our sins might be washed away. And so the question that has been so challenging every time we sing this hymn, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And we know that many can answer in a very positive way tonight that question. And we can say, yes, we're washed. It was that day when we came in simple faith to Christ, when we confessed our sins, when we took Him as our Savior, and by faith we were washed in the blood of the Lamb, and our sins were forgiven, all of our sins, not just in part, but the whole, was nailed to His cross, and Lord, we rejoice tonight in the knowledge of sins forgiven. And we thank you that we can say we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, it is the testimony of every believer. But tonight we know there are those with us and those perhaps tuning in tonight on the internet. And they cannot answer in a positive way. For they've never been to Christ. They've never repented of their sin. They've never by faith taken hold of Him. Lord, we pray that this night will be an eye-opener and a heart-opener. You opened the heart of Lydia at the riverside that day when Paul preached the Word. And Lord, it is God's business to open hearts. We pray, we labor to that end. We preach Your Word, but Lord, at the end of the day, we know that salvation is off the Lord and if a man or a woman or a child is ever to be saved, then the Lord must do His work, and He must open the heart to attend onto the things that are presented in the gospel. Lord, may this be such a time. Thank Thee for the dear man who waited behind this morning and professed faith in Christ. And we do pray that You'll bless him. And may he walk with the Lord in the light of Your Word and grow in grace every day. And help all of us who know the Savior and love the Lord walk likewise in a way that pleases God. Enoch walked with God way back near the beginning of time. And in the New Testament, we're told that he had a testimony that pleased God. And we know that Jesus himself, he said that he did always those things that pleased the Father. May we be like Enoch of old and more so like our Savior who is our representative in all things, that we might walk even as he walked. 
We do commit again the sorrowing into your care. We know that these days have been difficult for those who have lost their loved ones. We pray for them, that the Lord's blessing will be upon them, that thou will bless them and draw graciously near. And we remember especially Paul Ross and his family in their deep grief. Standing somewhere in the shadow, we find Jesus, the one who cares and understands. And a great shadow has come upon this family. But Lord, they've found the Lord and they've proved the Lord. And may that be so over these next few days and in the coming days. Settle our minds and our hearts down now into your presence and do us good. And Lord, as we break off for a little time for refreshments and then come back for the watch night service, may your presence be with us in a very remarkable way for Jesus' sake. Amen. 263. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued.
We welcome you tonight again to this later service, 9 o'clock meeting, and uh, good to see you here. Very conscious that there are those that are not with us, some because of illness. In fact, this morning, uh, the majority of our Ukrainian friends were not here because of sickness. We just had four out of nearly 40. Uh, so remember them as they recover from their various ailments. If you're with us tonight on the internet, Sermon Audio, Facebook, or YouTube, we also welcome you in the Savior's name. The plan for this evening is that we will break off around 10 o'clock for refreshments, and for those that are able to stay, and maybe others will join us later, our watch night service is at 11 o'clock. Watch night service is a time of praise and worship and thanksgiving, and we will take time to sing a little bit together. There'll be a testimony time, and that simply means we leave it open for anyone who would like to give a brief word of testimony, a line or two, a minute or two, Maybe it's a testimony of salvation. The Lord has saved you in the past year and you want to acknowledge that publicly or maybe it's bringing you through a time of trial or difficulty and you want to praise the Lord tonight for His grace in that as well. So there will be the testimony time and uh, I will also bring a short message at the end and that should bring us through uh, to midnight or thereabouts into the new year. Whitfield College of the Bible many years ago had a penny scheme and they were raising pennies through our churches to uh, provide funds for the college. And that kind of stopped, but a number of churches kept it on and we were one of them. And for those that saved their pennies, we encourage you to do that all year round and bring them in at the end of the year. And then we will give that amount to the college to support them. Wednesday night, there's a session meeting at 8 o'clock. Thursday night, our midweek service at 8 o'clock. And uh, Saturday morning, the open air, the first of the new year, 11 o'clock in the center of the town. We encourage you to get off to a good start and join us in the open air public ministry. Next large day, if you remember the early morning prayer meeting, don't want to forget that. It's at 8 o'clock. The Sunday school is at 10.30. The Bible class at a quarter to 11 worship service. We want to preach our motto text for the new year, 2024. And that meeting is at 12 noon. The Lord's table will follow our worship service. And then in the evening, there's a time of prayer for the elders and the committee of the church at 5.30 and our church prayer meeting at 6.30. And that's followed by family night. And we're delighted that Baby David will be dedicated to the Lord at the service next Lord's Day at 7 p.m. Refreshments will also be served. We've asked the church to remember our ministers the following week, the 8th to the 12th of January, as they go to Armagh for the minister's week of prayer. The following week is our own week of prayer, each night at 8 o'clock, Monday the 15th to Friday the 19th of January, and there's much to pray for. In between that, we have our missionary weekend, and on the Saturday, uh, the 13th of January, there's the New Year Big Breakfast, so keep these things in mind. Just to let you know that Florentina arrived home safely. This was her just leaving her home yesterday afternoon, and then down at the airport in Dublin, uh, thankful to Pastor Emmanuel and his family for coming over and for helping out and making sure that Florentina got home safely. 
Thank you for your prayers and your support for this young woman. That's all the announcements to make just now. We bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord and remember it's the retiring offering for the Christian school also. 238 is our offering hymn, passing onward, quickly passing, but I ask thee, whither bound? In other words, where are you going? Where are you going when you leave this life? Where will you be in eternity? Is it to the many mansions where eternal rest is found? Passing onward, passing onward, tell me, sinner, whither bound? And through the hymn, there is the challenge about eternity and where you will be when you leave this life. Think of the words as we sing them together. Keep her seats. It's either the, the matter of not singing or going a, an octave lower when you come to those very, very high notes. We hope in the near future when they rewrite the music for the hymn book, I think they're working on this, that some of these hymns that go so high will be brought down uh, a good bit for us. Regarding the, the big breakfast, there are these invitation cards, and we want you to take them. They're at the door and give them out to your family and friends and neighbors and invite them to come along on the 13th of January. Now let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want to bring a message for the end of the year, a gospel message. 
And this is the passage that we want to read, the final verses of 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. May God bless the reading of his word to every heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we know not only by singing the truth, but in reality and experience that we are passing onward and quickly passing. We think of the past week and the hand of death has come to young people and older people alike. And we've heard that there have been more deaths on the road this year than in the past number of years. And how true it is, we're all going through life quickly. We're going out into eternity. And we don't know when. And we need to be ready. Lord, make this a preparation time. We pray that there will be a sitting up and listening to your word. We pray for the Spirit to apply the gospel, bring conviction, bring concern, and conversion. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh in me. Use me for your glory. Help me to bring the message, this last gospel message at our gospel service in 2023, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A message for the end of the year. As I was thinking about this, I couldn't get away from the little phrase that we've read this evening, what shall the end be? We have it there in the middle of verse 17. What shall the end be? <coughs> Today is the final day of the year 
2023, 31st of December. And we are now in the final hours of this year. We're in the final gospel meeting of this year. And so we are at the, the end of another 12 months that the Lord has graciously given to us. And it is by His grace that we're here. I want you to think about the word end. It's used many times in the Bible. For example, we have the end of creation. God called the heavens and the earth into existence. He did so in six literal days. And we read in the book of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2 that on the seventh day, God ended His work which he had made, and he rested the seventh day from all his work which he had made. So there came a time when creation was finished, came to an end. We have the end of the old world because of the sin and the wickedness and the violence that filled the earth back in the days of Noah. God purposed that he would destroy the old world. And in Genesis 6 and verse 13, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so the old world did come to an end. We have the end of life. And I was thinking about Numbers 23 and, and verse 10, where we read about a false prophet by the name of Balaam, and he was thinking about the end of life, the end of his life. And you remember what desire he expressed when he said, let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. And as he contemplated the end of life, when he would leave this world, when he came to the end of the journey in this earth, you know what he was saying? I want to die right. I want to die ready. I want to die knowing that it's well with me. I want the end of the righteous person. And we know that he didn't die that way very sadly, but he desired it. We have the end of the world. We think of the parables that the Lord Jesus Christ related in the Gospel of Matthew in the chapter 13, and a number of times he speaks about the end of the world. For example, chapter 13 and verse 39 the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. So there's coming a moment in the history of this old world when everything that we know, everything that we see all around us will, will come to a finish. And that's the end of the world, as we know it, when Jesus comes back again. We have the end of the ungodly, and that's the one that's mentioned in our text. So we're going to come back to 1 Peter 4, 17. And then we have the end of all enemies. We have many enemies to face in this life. You and I know that, even as Christians, but there's coming the final one. And we read in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26 that the last enemy is death. And when we come to die, yes, it's an enemy to face, but it's the final one will never have another enemy beyond death. We have the end of service, the work that we do for the Lord. Indeed, our Savior 
he spoke about this in his life. There was coming a time when his work would be finished. And in John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said to his disciples, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to, and the word finish is used here, to finish his work. That work that God the Father gave the Son to do would come to an end. Indeed, he, he prayed over this very matter in the great high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, where we read in verse 14, how the Lord had come to, or verse 4 rather, how the Lord had come to that place where he knew his work would be finished. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And you know that the Lord is just about to go to the cross. He's, he's just about to finish the work that the Father had appointed for him. And we are reminded that your work and mine will soon be over as well. When the great apostle Paul came to the end of his life, he said that he had finished his course. And the work of Paul and all his preaching and all his letter writing and all his visiting of the churches, that work came to an end as it shall for you and for me. And then we have the end of all substitutionary sufferings. Substitutionary sufferings are the fact that somebody took our place and died for us, and that is Jesus. He went to the cross. He died in our stead as our substitute. And there on that center tree, he lifted his voice in great authority and with great exclamation, and he cried, it is finished. My work is done. It's ended. And all that he came to do as our substitute had come to its end. Now, the end that I want to discuss with you tonight is the one that is mentioned by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? This text is a solemn one. For we are led to the great day of judgment. The judgment, according to Peter, as he writes here by inspiration, begins with the true people of God. Judgment, he says, must begin at the house of God. Indeed, it first begins at us. The judgment is just about to commence. And where does it begin? With Christians, with you and I, who are the saved of God, with those of us who are the redeemed. Oh, dear child of God, Please remember, there's coming a day, a solemn day, a serious day, a sobering day, when we shall be called to stand before the majesty of God. It is the judgment seat of Christ that the Apostle Paul spoke about when he wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, when everyone may receive the things done in his body, According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This judgment is not about whether we're going to go to heaven or not. That matter has already been settled for every believer. If you're in Christ and you're saved by grace, you're going to heaven. And you're going to heaven, heaven because of the great transaction that was done between you and God. Jesus has taken your place. You've come to him in faith. You've received him. He has given to you eternal life. 
That's not what is being considered here, whether you're going to go to heaven or not. If you're a child of God, you will get there. That matter is settled. No, this judgment is about the rewards that we receive. There is a reward for the good things. Did you notice it? Whether they be good or bad. The word bad does not refer, or the word bad refers to worthless things. It means the wasting of time, wasting of energy, wasting of talents, money, life in general. And you know it's going to be a burning time, a burning time. Will you turn just for a moment to 1 Corinthians 3 and notice what we read here from verse 11 onwards. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's the foundation of our faith. Christ has laid it. He's laid it through the great work that he came to do when he died for us at the cross. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, and these are the people of God who are building upon, you've got onto the foundation of faith. You've got to Christ. And you're building now. You're building some kind of, of structure and you're using materials, and materials are mentioned here, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So you get the picture. Christ is the foundation. Through salvation, you've come to stand upon that foundation. You're built into that foundation. And now you yourself are building the life that you live. And you're building with these materials. The gold, the silver, and the precious stones they're the good materials. They're going to last. They're going to go through the fire test. They will stand that test. But then there's the wood, hay, and stubble. And the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. That's our worthless things. That's our useless things. They're going to be burned up one day. And there will be those, the Bible tells us, that they will be saved yet so as by fire. It has been said, some will be saved, but barely saved, and saved with everything gone. Nothing, nothing left. The wood, hand, stubble, all burned up. Now, this reminds me of what Peter is talking about in verse 18 of the passage that we read. If the righteous scarcely be saved. You see, my friends, judgment begins with you and I who know the Lord. And all things are going to be resurrected that day. The service that we rendered to the Lord, what we did, how we did it, what our eye was upon when we did it, all the works of half-heartedness, works that we did in pride with selfish motives for our glory, with an eye to please men, those kind of things are going to be burned up what a day of revelation is going to be. Judgment begins with us. But what about the ungodly? How will they do? How will they stand? Indeed, what shall their end be? And that is the question that is posed by Peter 
in our text, verse 17 of 1 Peter 4. Time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God if it first begin at us. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Can I address myself tonight to those who are not saved in this meeting? Can I put this challenging question to you with the prayer that God will search out your heart and convict your soul and bring you to Christ? That, that's our desire. That has been our desire all the year through. And it hasn't changed as we come to this final gospel service of the year that God has brought us graciously through. What shall the end be? That's the question. The time is coming, and we're hastening on towards that day. It's the day of judgment for the ungodly, for those who obey not the gospel of God. Some of you are still living in disobedience to the gospel that requires you to respond. The gospel is preached, and God requires you to give some kind of reaction to that message. And the reaction that God is looking for in your heart is one of acceptance. It is one of repentance from sin and believing in Jesus Christ to the saving of your soul. But some of you are still disobeying the gospel and refusing to come. What shall the end be? Well, let me just go through very briefly five things very quickly that I want to set before you. The first thing is flaming fire. Second Thessalonians and the chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8. To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our dear Savior, I want you to see this now. Our dear Savior, who is love incarnate, he spoke of the fires of hell, and he did so perhaps more than any other person. And I want you to hear him. It doesn't really matter what I say. That's not important what my thoughts and my opinions are. I want you to hear him. I want you to listen to what Jesus has to say. In Matthew's gospel, I don't need to go anywhere beyond Matthew's gospel. Let me read just some verses. Chapter 5 of Matthew and verse 22. He speaks here about hellfire. You'll mark it there at the end of the text. Chapter 13 and verse 40. These parables that are set before the hearers of Christ in his day. We look and we mark again the fire in verse 40. In verse 42, a furnace of fire. And verse 50, the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Chapter 18 and verse 8. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, cast them from thee. It is better to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. One other reference, chapter 25 
and verse 41. These are all the words of Christ. Listen to what he's saying. He shall also say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. From the lips of the one who is the altogether lovely one, the fairest of ten thousands to our soul, the rose of Sharon, the bright and the morning star, there comes these solemn warnings. And if you heed not me, I pray that you will listen to Christ. Out of love, he warns you. He exhorts you to flee from the wrath to come. You know, if Jesus could come and sit physically beside you and preach this message into your ear, he would plead with you, dear sinner, to be reconciled to God and to, to flee the destruction that awaits you in this place that he has described as hellfire, the furnace of fire, everlasting fire. Listen to what Peter says. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. The heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And remember those solemn words that we have in Revelation chapter 20. As the beloved disciple is brought to see a lost eternity, and it's the last verse of the chapter, verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is your end if you know not the Lord as your Savior. This is your final destiny. This is your eternity. What shall the end be? According to God's precious word, flaming fire. Secondly, eternal separation. We come back to the Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 25. And I want you to mark just three verses with me. Verse 31 and 32 and then verse 41. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Verse 41, then shall he say to them on his left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Again, it's the Savior that's speaking. It's his sermon on the second coming. And in these verses, he's warning about separation. The shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And you know what that represents. Those that are on the right hand, those that are on the left. The saved of God, the sheep of God, as they are called, representing all that the redeemed are on the right hand of the shepherd. On the left hand, those that are described as the goats who do not know the Lord, the unconverted, and they are separated. 
the one from the other when Jesus comes again. From the lips of the great judge there comes these piercing and terrible words which ought to make every one of us tremble when Jesus says on that day, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. And my friends, that's separation. When Jesus says, Depart from me, and men will leave the presence of the Lord, and they will be thrust out into a lost eternity on that day. The unsaved will be separated from family, they'll be separated from friends, they'll be separated from all the redeemed of God, they'll be separated from the holy angels and all that is good and blessed, but worst of all, they're going to be separated from Jesus Christ. This Jesus who left the splendor of heaven and came into this sin-cursed world motivated by nothing but love. This Jesus who walked among men doing nothing but good, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out devils, raising the dead to life again. This Jesus who was taken by wicked and cruel hands and nailed to the cross of Calvary for our sin. This Jesus who invites sinners to come to him for life and pardon and forgiveness. This Jesus who stands at the door and knocks upon the sinner's door. Oh, he's one day going to say, depart from me. And if you're there as an unconverted person standing before him, my friends, I want to tell you, you'll be taken from his holy and majestic presence and thrust into the outer darkness of hell forever, and this separation will be eternal. This is the end, you see, of those who obey not the gospel. Why do you stay in your sin? Why do you refuse to come to him? Why do you shut the door and say no to the Son of God who loves you so? Tell me why. Why, why do you stay from, away from Christ? I can't understand it. Eternal separation. Thirdly, the end will be outer darkness. In Matthew 8 and verse 12, chapter 22 and verse 13, and chapter 25 and verse 30, Jesus, on these three occasions in the Gospel of Matthew, he speaks about outer darkness. And when you read the little epistle of Jude, he speaks about the blackness of darkness forever. At some stage or another, we have found ourselves in a very dark and dreary place. The darkness has been deep and dense, and fear has gripped our hearts. Well, my friends, that is hell forever. <coughs> there is no darkness like the darkness of hell. There the very flames of hell burn without light. All light is obliterated forever. No sun, no moon, no stars, no street lights, no artificial lights, no light whatsoever. You want to try to imagine this experience of hell where you will never see another person. You know, people say, well, you know, if my friends are there, that's where I want to be. That's silly nonsense. When you think of the billions of people that will be there, You'll never meet your friends. You'll never see your friends. You'll be so taken up with the extremity of the pain that you're in that you'll never think about them. You can get tours of a coal mine in Arizona, and the tour guide will bring you down deep into the mine until you reach the bottom, and they turn off the lights for 30 seconds, 
And even during those few brief moments, people begin to panic, and it leaves them completely disorientated, and they're truly afraid, and some people actually begin to scream, yet it's nothing, nothing to the blackness of hell. Oh, my dear sinner, come to the light tonight. Christ, the light, that you might enjoy the light of heaven forevermore and escape the darkness of hell. Outer darkness, that's the end. Fourthly, unceasing weeping. The outer darkness is accompanied by weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you look at those references that I mentioned where the outer darkness is given by the Savior, he mentions the fact that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Such description is given by the Lord to further illustrate the misery, the pain, the anguish, the fear and torment which will be felt and endured throughout the countless ages of eternity. Our dear Savior in Matthew 8 speaks about the people of God sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But he speaks of others, the unconverted and the unbelieving, being cast out into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, how wonderful and blessed it is for those of us who know Christ. Oh, praise God, we're going to sit down one day in glory with the great patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But how dreadful and desperate for those who know him not. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the experience, the pain, the agony, the outer darkness where tells us where the lost are? The weeping and the gnashing of teeth tells us what they're doing. The great preacher C.H. Spurgeon said, what is it that the lost are doing? They are weeping and gnashing their teeth. Do you gnash your teeth now? You would not do it except you were in pain and agony. Well, in hell, there is always gnashing of teeth. He went on to say, we see that Jesus was unafraid to speak of hell. And in fact, he did so more than any other in the Bible. There are some ministers who never mention anything about hell. I heard of a minister who once said to his congregation, if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be sent to that place which it is not polite to mention. He ought not to have been allowed to preach again, I am sure, if he could not use plain words. I want to be faithful to your soul. I want, my dear friends, you to know that I love you for the sake of Christ. I feel for those who sit beneath my ministry week after week. And I must be honest and open and direct with you. The end of the ungodly is too serious not to be direct and faithful. I must be that faithful watchman because I'm going to give an account one day. There is a solemn reminder for all who come and stand in this pulpit because the text beneath the pulpit, the pulpit desk is, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And there is that woe placed upon any man who is unfaithful to his listeners. The gospel is the good news that there is a Savior from all sin. One who went to the cross of Calvary to purchase eternal salvation for sinners, to save men from hell and destruction, to deliver them from the fires of hell, 
to pull them from that God-forsaken place of outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the end for those who obey not the gospel of God. One final thought. It's eternal punishment. The words eternal, everlasting, and also the expression night and day forever are used to describe the duration of hell. Oh, if hell was just for a little time, for a month or a week, or even a day, it would be a dreadful experience. Who in their right mind would choose to go down into the caverns of the damned even for a day, even for an hour, one hour, to be surrounded in the fires of a lost eternity? Imagine that, burning, shouting, screaming, yelling, gnashing your teeth in excruciating pain for 60 minutes. We know, I think most of us, what it is just to accidentally burn your finger or your hand in the flame or the cooker or in some other fire. I know some people that have even been in the fires and have had extensive burns to their body. I have visited them in hospital. A dreadful, painful experience. Well, the hell of the Bible is forever. Written on the gates of hell in bold capital letters is the word forever. Fire forever, separation forever, darkness forever, weeping forever, not just one hour or one day or one week or a month or a year or a decade or a century or a millennium. No, my friends, for billions and billions of years, this place is eternal. Are you mad enough to choose such eternal hell? Oh, dear sinner, I say, as the Savior said, and the great preachers of the Bible said, and men since, flee, flee from the wrath to come. Flee from the end of those who obey not the gospel of God. Let not this be your final end. What shall the end be? I have set five things before you. Don't let it be your end. Come to Christ and be saved from that end forever. Let us pray. I have delivered the burden of my heart to you tonight. It's the message I believe God has given for this final gospel service. As we think of the end of the year, we've come to see something that is far more important, and that is the end of the ungodly. What your end, my friend, will be if you know not the Savior, if you obey not the gospel. You've got responsibility tonight. And that responsibility is to repent and believe, to turn from your sin and to turn to Christ and receive him as your personal Savior. We're here as we have been all year to help in whatever way we can. 
If you know not Christ, my friend, don't leave this meeting without him. You seek him. Before this year is through, seek him as your savior. Call upon his name while he's near. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of another year, we're, we're brought to consider this matter that is so important and serious and solemn. We pray that you'll search out our hearts. If we are believers tonight, we rejoice that we have been delivered from this end. You've saved us to eternal life in heaven. One day we're going to be with Christ, which is far better. But Lord, for those who are unconverted and they're still in their sin, this is their end. We pray that they will obey the gospel tonight and come to Christ and seek him with their whole heart. Lord, don't let them leave another year without receiving him. Don't let them enter a new year rejecting him. Father, have mercy. It's all we can plead, the mercy of God. We don't deserve salvation, but you're a merciful God and you sent your son to die for us. Oh, may Calvary love draw the sinner to Christ because we ask in his name. Amen. Out of Christ, without a Savior, 236. Oh, can it, can it be like a ship without a rudder on a wild and stormy sea? Oh, to be without a Savior, with no hope, no refuge nigh. <clears throat> rise to our feet as we sing. matters are with thee. We have discharged our responsibility. We have preached your word and we pray that there will be that call from heaven and there will be that seeking of the Lord, that ready response in the hearts of sinners to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. Bless the refreshments for those who are able to stay and the meeting that is later on this evening, the watch night service. Let your presence fill this church building in the last hours of this year. For Jesus' sake. Amen.
Amen.